You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Welcome to Crowdfunding Nerds, everybody. I am your esteemed, fearless leader who fears much. I don't know. I'm joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean and Richard the Taken, whom he shall henceforth be known for the rest of this podcast. I must be in trouble because you used my full name. Richard the Taken. Well, it seemed like a <laughs> Knight of the Round Table name. That's kind of what I was going for. Leroy Jenkins. That's now my new introduction. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. blowing out my speakers. Yeah. Before okay. before this podcast, we actually we played the Was Up commercial. We did the Leroy Jenkins joke, and we looked at the Mr. T Snickers commercial that says "Get some nuts," you know, and we're, and, uh, and we're just warming up. That was a lot of fun. But this podcast is not about those things. This podcast is actually about something that drives me crazy when our when somebody gets an email on their list and then doesn't know what to do from that point on. What to do once somebody subscribes to your email list. They've indicated that maybe they've gone to your landing page with an ad and they've joined your email list and, and now what? And so we are here to tell you how to turn a cold lead that just joined your email list into a raving fan that is striving to be the very first backer on day one. You know, when people get a thousand leads um, on their email list and then fail to fund or, you know, get just, a, you know, I mean, there are lots and lots of stories I've heard over the years, but when that happens, it is always because they got emails that they did not engage. So each email actually represents a person and, or it should at least, and if you are not engaging the person behind that email, I mean, they're not going to open their wallet up to what it is that you have to sell. So that is what this podcast is about. And I'm excited to dive in. What do you guys think? All, all I heard was get their email and then spam, 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 right? Is that, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. If you, that's, is that the TLDR for, for this podcast? <laughs> spam, spam. Thank you, ma'am. <laughs> it is better to spam than to do nothing. I'm assuming that the reason you're collecting emails is to broaden, you know, people's knowledge about your future and the upcoming product. So I'm assuming you want to send them an email once you get their email address, right? If you've ever looked at uh, the underpants gnomes, they actually have a case study where they it, it's very similar to what a lot the way a lot of creators behave when they get emails. They step one, get email. Step two, step three, profit. So that is the underpants gnomes formula. So step one, get underwear. Step two, we don't know what. Step three, profit. And yeah, you don't you don't want to have a, a plan like that. Do you, do you think that happens because a lot of people are setting up email systems and like just set it, forget it, where it's because it's it's automatic once you set something up like that, like set up a mail system like Mailchimp, Aweber, etc., and automatically just collects emails. And like how. I'm assuming once people do set up, they're like, okay, I'm done with that task. Okay, let's go on the yep. next task. So what would be like some things that, you know, um, people should do to get more involved, like in their, their email system? Yeah. You know, one of, one of the number one things I think about, because first of all, I'm, you know, as I'm going through this process myself, Deliverance coming to Kickstarter on June 8th and everything, there are so many things to do and so many things competing for my time and attention. And the email list is another one of those things. And really what it comes down to is the order of priority. So that certain things are of a very high priority. For example, if my Kickstarter page is not ready by the time we launch, that is not going to, it's not going to go well for me. And uh, so I, I need, need, need 
to you know have work with my graphic designer and get that thing live get it ready because you know i i can't afford to have it ready a week late right so in the same way emails are of a very high priority but as soon as you send an email you can switch your attention to other tasks and uh, you don't have to worry about emails 24 seven, but it is an extremely, extremely important thing. Have a, a schedule that you send an email on a specific date and you have to have the email ready. And then, you know, I guess you can let it rest for a little while, but that, that email schedule is extremely important. And I don't think I answered your question. <laughs> well, speaking of extremely important, I heard deliverance in there. Why don't you give us this week's, Deliverance update. All right. Yeah, sure. So we got our Kickstarter landing page live. And in the first day, we see it's been about a day since we announced it. We have about 730 followers. Our email list is is approaching 3,700. And our Facebook group just crossed 2,000. You know, we're ramping ads and other things like that. And we're, our goal is to fund on the first day and then really blow up the ads after that. So that's kind of what I'm setting up to do. And there, I mean, like I said, there are a lot of plates in the air. We have our Kickstarter video team. Um, they are working on our gifts for our images or for a gameplay so that people scrolling the Kickstarter page can see the um, how the game works in just a really quick, easy set of uh, gifts. And then um, also they're polishing the video which is almost done. It should be done this week. Um, then I've got my uh, graphic designer, Chip Cole, actually is putting the Kickstarter element, the elements of the Kickstarter page together. That should hopefully be ready um, a week from now. And then I can, you know, share, you know, by the time this podcast goes live, I should hopefully be able to share, you know, maybe maybe a, a, a few days after I should be able to share a link to the preview page for everybody, if anybody wanted to see. And but Andrew... You also mm -hmm. had a very exciting meeting with Backerkit. So you want to go into the yes. details of what that was like? Yeah. So I've had a lot of really great meetings with uh, with vendors. So um, one of the most essential things that I, I mean, I consider it essential to a Kickstarter campaign is a pledge manager. So you absolutely need a pledge manager. And the best ones that I've worked with from the outside are Backerkit and GameFound. But there, when you compare from the inside, there really is no comparison at the moment. Backerkit is far superior to GameFound. The level of customer service that you get, the amount of attention and help that you can get, I mean, it's really second to none in, in my view. You know, other pledge managers are free to try to change my mind on that. But just based on my experience, you get all the stuff you need from, you know, like afterward when you market, you've got Facebook ads can actually track how many people have purchased you know, which is excellent. GameFound can do the same thing, but there are other pledge managers that can't. And uh, that drives me nuts. But then, you know, the whole shipping and, you know, getting to charge afterward, it's it's a really big deal. With Backerkit, they actually have a deal for you where if you sign up before your Kickstarter project launches, you get their best rates. And they are serious about that. If you launch your Kickstarter campaign and then contact them, you do not get their best rates. The uh, their best rate is like two percent of the funds that you raise. If it actually, if you raise like a million dollars, it's one point five five percent of your total funds raised. They do have like a sliding scale. You get a bonus if you use Backerkit marketing, which it looks like that I will be using. So in addition to my own marketing skill set, 
I will also be uh, relying somewhat on Backerkit for their marketing expertise because they have 14 million Kickstarter backer profiles that they can, um, like 14 million unique Kickstarter backers in their system that they can, uh, and they can leverage those data sets, which is really cool. I certainly don't expect it to, you know, take my campaign from, uh, you know, from nothing to, you know, over the moon, but I definitely expect it to amplify what it is that we're doing with ads and and podcasts and everything else. And ad, do they charge in a, a commission per sale once your Kickstarter is wrapped up and you're selling on the natural platform? Yes. So the the way that Backerkit operates, they have pretty sophisticated way to track, and it's a very dangerous double uh, two edged sword. Let's say they will front all of the ad spend at first and what they charge you is so at the end of the campaign they will charge you for all the ad spend plus they'll charge you 15 percent of whatever the kickstarter back end says came through their uh their system so in addition to the ad spend it is they are charging a commission on sales so if let's say they spend two thousand dollars in ads and they generate i don't know let's just keep it simple, $5,000 in sales, that's going to be $7,000 or no, I'm sorry, $2,000 that you pay them back for the ad spend. And then $5,000 in sales would be $750. 15% of that is $750 uh, that you would owe them. So which is good because it gives them an incentive, right? To make your ads as profitable as, as possible because they're actually getting a cut of how successful your ad spend is. Right. So they focus so much on return on ad spend. Um, their benchmark is three to one. So every $3 that they bring in, you know, you spend $1. So it's, uh, that actually is a pretty close, pretty close to what I find a break even point for a company doing that. Let's say you made $3 and your ad spend was a dollar. The total amount that backer kit's going to take out is a dollar 45. Now, that rem- whatever remains over, and in this little $3 example, we have $1.55 is what we get to keep. That's after the ad spend, after backer kits fees and, and that kind of thing. So that is about just over 50% margin. So if, if let's say I, I have my, my board game is $100 and it's going to cost me a certain amount to ship it, which is let's say 20 bucks to, I'm sorry, $20 to print it. And then let's say, more I want to subsidize to ship and then another $15 for graphic design and art, you know, just again, to keep things simple, that would be um, $50 is what it would cost me to make that game happen and get it onto your, you know, your table. That would give me a margin left of 50%. At the moment, the back, the, the, with the little equation that I just did a dollar 45, is just barely better than break even. So a dollar fifty would have been completely break even at this point. So all this is to say, and you're not take you're not inclu- have you included the Kickstarter fee and the Stripe fee? So yeah, the the entire margin. So okay. I, I'm just I'm just saying like if it costs you fifty percent of the or fifty dollars to get it made and shipped and and everything. And you're right, there there are also there are additional fees, and that's something that are you know you as a creator absolutely have to know your numbers before you go to Kickstarter. That's that might be something that we would talk about on a future podcast. But um, I know people are you know say, think math is hard and it is, but 
if I were to use backer kit, the, the basically the bottom line is that it'll cost me about $48 or $45, let's say to it. I think, I think the actual number is $47 and 50 cents at the end of the day. So if it's, if it's a three to one return on investment or return on ad spend, I'm going to make almost nothing. Um, off of the game. Now, why would I do that? And again, I, I hope I make 10 to one, you know, $10 in for every dollar spent. I mean, that is not unrealistic at all. But if let's say backer kit does break even, and we do get a three to one, you know, uh, return, then I think it's still worthwhile because your game is going to be spread to more tables. More people will talk about it. More people will share with more people and you're going to get a better uh, reception overall than if you were just to do it yourself. So if you can take, you know, let's say you, I would sell, I don't know, 2000 games on my own. If I can partner with Backerkit, sell another 2000 or maybe 1000 more. Yeah. I might not have made any money on that extra that I sold, you know, let's say at the end of the day, it might just be a, a nominal amount of money that we made. That is going to be, uh, it's still going to work in my favor because it's going to be at a thousand more tables around the world that are, that would be shared with you know, what is it? 50% more people because of uh, 2000 versus an extra, you know, 3000 It's going to be shared with 50% more people and who are going to be, you know, buyers or share with others that might want to buy. And I look at Kickstarter as a marketing effort. It's not so much, I understand a lot of people will, will sell, you know, their, their stock. Some people use Kickstarter basically as a store where, you know, it's like, hey, I have a game and it's not going to distribution. It's not going to be reprinted. It's just a thing I wanted to make. And that is the, the, the beginning and the end of your 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 product, your project. It's only going to get printed once, maybe. And um, I just, first of all, I don't think that's a really great outlook for a company to have. I think that um, you should absolutely look to reprint. But the momentum that you build with, you know, a thousand games versus 2000 games in the hands of your people is just night and day. So that's, that's kind of some of the rationale that I look at and say, yeah, this, this is worthwhile. Also now they're going to spend the amount that they think is going to give a positive return. If it's not positive, they will shut the ads off and you're out. Let's say 600 between 600 and $2,000 is what they estimated. If you went for this and it just didn't work out they they estimate that they kind of figure that out by the time that they spend about $600 in ad spend. So, so Andrew, earlier <laughs> you mentioned um, that you had about 700 followers on Kickstarter. And that sort of threw me off because I'm like, at first I was like, well, why do you need followers? Because you haven't even launched it. There's no page. There's no, your project page is not public. People can't see it. They can't back it. Um, so you can't do pledges. I'm like, what's the point? Well, then silly old me, I went to Kickstarter <laughs> and I told Kickstarter, because you could do filters, I, I have it set to show me upcoming projects in all categories on Earth. Apparently, Earth is a thing, so global. And right now on Kickstarter, Deliverance is number three. And really? it's right there wow. on the top of the fold. So if you, as of this recording, so when it comes out, maybe it'll be, well, <laughs> I think it'll be launched by the time this comes out. But um, <laughs> yeah, so so you're so you're on the top of the fold for upcoming projects. Uh, projects by popularity you're right now the witcher old world is beating you and some guy is doing groovy dice is beating you but other than that you are number three on kickstarter for upcoming projects that's awesome that's and cool. i'm sure that there will be others that you know are uh that that 
get launched after that are huge and that kind of thing. But that's very cool. Now, very did cool, you, when, it, when you got approved for your, for your page, um, did you send out like an email to your, um, cause we're going to be talking about email. Did you send out an email to your followers about liking this or, or supporting this? Well, somebody doesn't read the deliverance email updates. <laughs> Uh, no, I get them in my inbox and they're in my work box. And I'm like, this doesn't work. So I just like shove it aside. And That's funny. I, I tell myself I'll get back to it, but you know, yeah, work's busy. Yeah. Your job, <laughs> your job is just to make sure that they get sent. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting because part of the, I guess the goal of what, uh, in fact, maybe even the first on, on the topic that we're, that we're kind of purposing ourselves to discuss on this podcast, you know, what do you do after you get an email? One of the things is you need to win the right to communicate across as many mediums as possible. Uh, I say that every once in a while, but Kickstarter, they have a pre-launch page that you can get people to follow and it will send them a notification when your project launches. It'll send them a notification when you have 48 hours remaining and it'll send another notification when you have eight hours remaining. And th those are automatic. All they have to do is be following and Kickstarter will send that We'll send that out. That pairs nicely with an email that you send with a, a Facebook message, a Discord, you know, server message or whatever. All of that together is it can result in a lot of people backing at the same time. And so one of our strategies is it, to eventually create the Kickstarter page and to get as many followers as possible. And I, we sent out the email um, a day ago. And so we've had about 750 People follow it in a day, and that that feels pretty good. I hope that we can get it up to maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand before we launch. I wonder, you know, how many of those? Let's see, those initial seven. Right now, I'm looking at it. It's seven hundred and thirty-four followers. How many of those seven hundred thirty-four followers are hardcore, rabid fans? Right. I the highest. I, I don't want to say the highest is it. I mean, I've seen at the last I've tracked. You know, the, the on the high end, you can expect like. 25% of these people to convert on the first day, just as far as looking at product uh, projects on the first day and seeing the conversion numbers. Commonly, I've seen, you know, decent projects at like really, I guess, between 18 and 25% of their followers on the first day convert. But I expect that of these 734, they are my hardcore fans. I would expect like 50% of those people to convert. By the time pro the, the project actually launches, maybe we'll have 1,500 or 2,000. I could see the number, the total number of those followers that convert at, you know, 25%. But my rabid hardcore fans are going to be a much higher percentage of conversion. And um, so there you go. Yeah, the, the only downside I can see right now, because um, like I said, I, I like Kickstarter. I like, you know, doing, you know, what, looking at projects and stuff, but I'm not like a heavy, I'm not a heavy purchaser. I do buy stuff every once in a while. But for someone who may really be a diehard fan of your game, but if not, now I'm, I'm going to guess that the majority of people who are, or who are going to be backing your game have already have a Kickstarter account. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm assuming a lot of your, a lot of your future backers are already people who done Kickstarter before they've already bid on things before, made pledges and have received product before. However, the one thing that, 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 that I'm slightly disappointed in, um, and maybe it's, you know, it's probably Kickstarter marketing to get more emails. For you to be notified, so I'm on the page right now, and for me to be notified, you actually have to create and log into Kickstarter. Yep. So you can't just say, click on the notify button, put in your email and be like, I'm not going to be notified. I wish it did that for this segment of Kickstarter, because I mean, that I think mm -hmm. that would get more people who, because you, you, you're going to have a your percentage of people who 
have never done a Kickstarter before, and then this may scare them off. Oh, I got to create an account. Oh, right. I don't, you know. So I'm thinking. Um, for me, I think that's one downside of this notification system. Otherwise, I think it's phenomenal because, mm-hmm. like I said, as a as a as a publisher, it's sending out emails automatically on your behalf during certain intervals before the game was launched, and if you get a lot of followers, it's going to put you up there on the top of their page for upcoming games. So I think that's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So Andrew, you spoke about actually running an ad campaign that targets people who have already signed up to your mailing list to target those people on Facebook to encourage them to follow mm-hmm. on this page. And that's that would be really interesting to see the results of that campaign because they it's a retargeting campaign. These people are really familiar with your product, your brand. So you, you would expect that the conversion rates of those emails uh, of those leads to that, you know, hit that notify me on launch button would be quite high. Um, mm-hmm. So that might be a really good return on ad spend. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because, you know, both Sean, you and Rick brought up really good points that first of all, you, you're going to have, so to address, I guess, in reverse order, Sean, you were talking about a retargeting campaign. People that have seen your project already, maybe even subscribed as an email, you know, on the email list, those people are great candidates to send ads because some of them, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, we had uh, like 30, almost 3,700 people on the email list right now, 700 and some of them jumped on right away and followed. And these people know Kickstarter and they, you know, they, they don't have any, um, you, most for the most part, they probably didn't have any issue. They had, you know, maybe backed other campaigns before and that sort of thing. Those people would be great still to show ads because that just because they follow your campaign and everything doesn't mean they're going to back. But with retargeting, it has a really high conversion rate. Retargeting has a very high conversion rate, like four times higher than a normal ad. And in some cases, you know, uh, way higher than that. So I think that um, that's a really important part of our strategy doesn't need to be a very expensive part, but um, there are a lot of people who visited our website that we're retargeting right now. Also, people, even people who have subscribed to our email list that are that, are, that we're targeting right now, we have um, probably about a forty percent open rate on average uh, with our emails, and that means that sixty percent of those people didn't open uh, a particular email. Well, they're they're actually the the numbers get when you refine them down in an email list are even a little bit uh, more nuanced than that, but there's a big percentage of people that sign up for an email and literally never open a single email you ever sent. So um, that number with deliverance is actually about 800 people. So are there 800 emails that have signed up for notifications, probably using a junk email or something like that, and or maybe even their regular Gmail account or something, but it goes to a promotions tab, which they never look at let's say those people would be very interested in the project, but aren't going to open your emails. So if you can target with a retargeting campaign, you know, you, you would target people on your email list or also people that visited your website. We have over 5,000 people in the last month that have visited the deliverance landing page. All those people represent very highly qualified candidates to go to this Kickstarter page. We also are sending them to the Kickstarter pre i call it the pre-launch page which um is not our website landing page for a particular purpose maybe they've already signed up for the email list but in 
uh, large part, they will not have signed up for Kickstarter notifications. So we could end up getting really, really cheap cost per click um, and a really high subscriber uh, or Kickstarter uh, notify me on launch subscriber uh, rate. And so that's kind of why we're doing that. And then uh, Rick, uh, what, what did we, what did you mention? I, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rick, you were, you were talking about the, um, you know, that, that the Kickstarter pre-launch page might not actually be the right place to send a lot of people because they have, maybe they don't really understand how to use Kickstarter yet. And that's exactly right. There are a subset of, of people. In fact, all the people we target with Facebook ads have the Kickstarter interest. So those people are probably going to have an account. Anybody that Backerkit would send over is probably going to have an account. However, there are, I'll use this as one of the most common examples, is uh, friends and family. So your friends and family that want to support you because you're you, they don't have an account. My father-in-law is a farmer and he can barely use a computer. If not for my mother-in-law, I don't think he would even have a phone. And uh, so he probably for the better really yeah i know so he really wants to support the project he's like i want to i want to go all in you know just because i support you he's never played a board game in his life probably and uh he he may never do that at all but he'll proudly display the product on his shelf because his son-in-law made it right and these some of these people are going to need to you're going to need to teach them how to make a kickstarter account and all of that well it's going to be, I mean, they're not going to be able to back your Kickstarter project unless they have an account, but it would, uh, so you'll need to kind of, you know, have some resource to teach them. But at the same time, uh, which by the way, a lot of people do on their Kickstarter page, they'll say, you know, why Kickstarter or how do you use Kickstarter, which will kind of walk people through how to, you know, create an account and then back the project and what that means and all. It's not the first place to send them to convert, right? It's just not mm -hmm. it, it, the email. Everybody has an email. The email is the first place you send them to convert. They may or may not follow your Kickstarter campaign because they don't have an account at this point. They fully intend on supporting you and whatnot. You have to have other places that you deposit them. You know, we call it a, a bank sometimes. You know, you have to deposit the people in your various banks. One is the email system like MailChimp, you mentioned, or Aweber or Constant Contact. Wix uses a, has an email marketing system. Those people might follow, they might be a whole lot more likely to follow like a Facebook page or a group, a Discord community, other places like that. Why don't we talk about the architecture or the makeup of what makes a engaging and successful email. Maybe talk a little bit about benchmarks. So Andrew, what would you consider a decent open rate? Because that uh, the open rate dictates how many people are actually clicking and actually reading the messaging that is in your email. For our industry as the game as a games industry, I think the uh the tip well the the average like the benchmark is I thought it was 37% or 30% something like that. Maybe it's 31. Anyway, it's, it's somewhere in there. So if your numbers are higher than that, that's better than average. And I would uh, wager to say, depending on how you're building your, your list, you're going to get a different open rate. If you build your list in a way that really doesn't get people to, to think, you know, it's a lot easier to get people to, you know, just harass people until you, they give you their email. Um, you hold people up at gunpoint and, and you ask for their email, they'll give it to you. 
but it's they're not going to be interested in what you have to sell, right? And that, well, obviously that's an extreme example, but you want people who voluntarily give you their email because they're interested in what you have to say. That's extremely important and, because and they're more invested. likely to, right? And they're more likely to open your emails, and they're more likely if they if they didn't receive your email, if it went to spam, if it went to promotions folder in Gmail, they're more likely to go seek it out and say, "Hey, I haven't heard a thing from this company in a while. I wonder if it's in my spam." And that's exactly what you want. You want somebody who's interested and engaged and wants to receive what it is that you have to offer. So the the more people you have there, the more likely it is that you're going to have a higher open rate. Our typical numbers we see for uh, new clients that come to us and we build an email list of theirs, about 40% of an email list will open their their email. As long as it's not spammy or it doesn't get caught by, um, you know, like Gmail's spam filter or- We should actually know. talk about that because, you know, Rick, we're always talking about SEO optimization, search engine optimization, but really there's a need for email marketing optimization because, or we could even be a bit more specific, Gmail optimization. 33% of all emails in the world are Gmail accounts, which means Google has a large monopoly on what emails can be seen. <laughs> and they've got uh, one of the strictest blacklists and spam filters, which is a blessing and a curse, right? It means you don't get flooded with spam, but also it, it can be a bit trigger happy, right? And things you want to see that land up in you know automated folders and things and can be lost. So there's certain metrics that Google ranks, whether basically like a social credit score, whether your email is worth being sent to a person. So the thing, things which dictate Google's score is 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 your email opened is it replied to is it forwarded is it marked not spam is the email moved to a folder does the domain or the sender address has it been added to the address book of the email account was the email opened um, and is was the email marked as spam so there's often there's, there's positive and negative things that can affect your your google email score so it's really important important that you craft engaging emails to leverage this system. Yes. And on top of that, what you want to do is it's where you're sending it is the most important thing in the world. Gmail is a bratty little girl. I'd say other words, but we're on uh, public uh, podcasting. Uh. So Gmail is a bratty little girl. <clears throat> and like you said, 33% of emails are Gmail or some subsidy or connected to Gmail through you know, businesses and whatnot. So if you want to appease the bratty little girl, you need to play with the bratty little girl. And so to do that, what the, these are the, the, the top, you never want to send, if you have a mailing list, you don't want to send it through your own private mail server. If you have a server, I do not recommend it at all. Um, There's so many things that you have to have lined up before uh, services like, like Google and uh, Microsoft Outlook say that you're good or not. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things you have to check. There's DKIM keys, there's SPF keys. It's a mess. The best thing to do is if you can, send it through Google. Get a Google account some way, Gmail, do a Gmail business, do G, G Suite, whatever you can. If you can send it through them, you're like 99% already likely to get it through because you're on their platform and they're going to accept it. What you mean by that, by the way, is if so, let's say if we're using a service like MailChimp to send an email to like 3000 people, G, by the way, Gmail actually allows you to send an email if you BCC up to 500 people, which I don't recommend, but some people do if they really want to like keep life simple and, you know, just use Gmail to send. That's 
possible. But um, I, we actually use um, G Suite for our emails. So Andrew at nextlevelweb.com is a G Suite email. And so uh, and uh, my email for uh, deliverance is deliverance the game at gmail.com. I also have Andrew at deliveranceboardgame.com and things like that. But they're all managed in G Suite or or Gmail. Yeah. So so the top the top thing you want to do is 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 Google when you can. Now the second thing you'd want to do, if you can't uh, for some reason set up a uh, a mail system through Google, is to use one of the professional mailing systems like Mailchimp, Constant Contact, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the reason why is because they actually have a good relationship with Google. And they have a lot of rules in place that will prevent spamming, and Google knows that. And, of course, they don't want to lose their relationship with Google, so they will do their best to make sure that no spam goes out. So Google will pretty much let almost an email um, that goes through those those systems to, to go through and, and uh, get into mm-hmm. your inbox. Yep, and you can do what we do and be ballers and do both, right? That's it's, right. Uh, it's very important. You know, if, you, if we send out an email, it goes out in MailChimp, but – if people respond to it and say, wow, I'm so excited. I have a question. It goes to my Gmail inbox and I can go back and forth with a person in Gmail. That's, uh, you know, Sean, you listed one of your requirements as, um, or one of the best practices is there are things that Google looks for as uh, emails that are replied to, right? And so if you go back and mm-hmm. forth, and really what we're doing is we're building a history of trustworthiness with a program like Gmail. You might start out with emails that go right into an inbox and then they go later to the spam folder and you wonder why it's because the history that you're building it it's not just that individual email the content of the email and the subject line it's actually the history of other emails that you send so emails that you send all matter right all the all the subject and open rates and everything you know it's it all factors in yeah time. and then another another con for having you don't want to do self-hosted email is a lot of these hosting servers use a shared mail server. So you may have your own IP address. You may have your own account, but when it comes to mail, it goes through a different server on the hosting company's uh, system. And you can have hundreds to thousands of websites using the same mail server on the same IP. And if one person's naughty, it gets blacklisted and then all your emails no longer get uh, your, your, your recipients don't get reach to because they, they, they won't get your email at all. You won't even get to them. Yep, because so, you sold Viagra. Even though you <laughs> Another thing that Gmail looks at is frequency. This is important because you might think, oh, I've, I've crafted this really, really you know, engaging email, but if they're sporadic, that will actually lower your score as well. So what, what Gmail likes to see is a consistency that you're posting once a week or once a month. If you, you know, post here and there, you know, two times here and then you, you wait six months and you post again, that's seriously going to harm your Gmail social credit score, <laughs> which is what it is. Uh, I, I can't think of a better name for it. But that's, well, that's what's also interesting with Gmail, frequent, like you said, frequency. Frequency, they actually use frequency for many of the metrics in their system. Another interesting thing is let's say you have a Gmail account, but you also have like a another email that you want to have in the same spot so you can pull them up you know, all on Gmail. Well, you can import that email. Well, Google checks the frequency of how often something goes in its inbox. And if you're only getting uh, like an email once a week in that other email that's connected to Gmail, Gmail will only check that email once a week. So you might have a like an urgent email that comes in and Gmail won't even won't even recognize it until it checks. 
So mm -hmm. frequency is big when it comes to Gmail on all aspects of the spectrum. Uh, not only yourself sending emails, but also you receiving emails in other accounts, uh, which I think is interesting. I think they do that, of course, to keep bandwidth down and whatnot. But it's interesting because it actually sort of has an algorithm where it figures out how often you get emails from a specific email address, and it'll only check that email address uh, within that that frequency. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, kind of the, the practical way that that applied to a, an account of ours, we have this uh, solar company that we do SEO marketing for, and we set up their email servers a long time ago, and uh, we used um, G Suite. And they we used others in the past as well, but uh, like Mac Mail and other things that they were used to. But um, when we switched to G Suite, we would have sometimes like a four hour delay where they would send a contract out to a customer and the contract is worth a, you know, a boatload of money because it's solar and the customer doesn't get it. And they're like, wait, where's my contract? You said I'd get it. And it, it just was frustrating for them, but they were brand new email accounts and they were sending big PDFs. And so, you know, there are a bunch of of trip wires to be aware of. And I guess the, the moral of this story is don't set your email up right before you go to Kickstarter. <laughs> Make sure it's, it's working for you well before that. Make sure that, you know, people are um, receiving your emails, opening them and appreciating them. And then if there's any issue, you can probably go back to this podcast at this point and troubleshoot and find exactly what the problem was. So, so, mm -hmm. One of the keys to any of your marketing efforts is understanding your people and how to hit their pressure points and how to communicate your, your brand and your product in a way that's really going to resonate with them. We just had a, a call with uh, a Facebook guru and he, he basically is part two and he just stressed <laughs> this again with us, the importance of your brand messaging and your advertising advertisement, not so much the audiences and the, you know, the, so the mathematical metrics, those are important, but what's at the core of the foundation is your messaging to your target audience, hitting their pressure points and being very, very good and clear at that. So the same thing applies with your Facebook ads. It also applies to your emails. So Adju, have you noticed any of your emails have just really resonated with your audience? And if so, uh, is anyone that stands out and what, what was it about? Yeah, so there are certain emails that we'll send out are just going to have a much higher open rate, click-through rate, that kind of thing. So um, one example of an email that, you know, just worked out this way is, so our typical emails, we send them out, and again, leading into Kickstarter, we are um, looking to provide information, and I guess we can talk about some of those, uh, the standard things that you need to do with emails and why you're sending them and what they're meant to do and that sort of thing. But for the most part, our emails, we send information. So I expect to receive a decent open rate and a very low click-through rate. So, you know, the one of the last emails that I sent had a 33.8% open rate and a 3.1% click-through rate. Now, when I sent um, the Kickstarter landing page email, I have just in, I guess, like two days, I have a 43.9% open rate and the click-through rate is 23.3%. So just at the moment, like over a thousand people opened it and 560 people clicked. So it's 1,063 opens, 565 clicks. That is extremely high. That's like 50%, over 50% of the people that opened it actually clicked on the link. And that was specifically meant for them to click. So um, 
that is an example of an email with a clear call to action where I want them to do something for me. The let's see, the actual subject line of that email was an angel face. The deliverance Kickstarter pages up and then the preview text was get notified when we launch on Kickstarter. So a lot of people saw it there. There are going to be people that see your email subject line and say, oh, that's great. You know, deliverance is still doing its thing, but they they don't open it and, and that's it. The uh, there there are a lot of people that will that are waiting, you know, for the for the Kickstarter page to to launch, and um, they you know they're they're gonna they all clicked right. Um, so uh, that's one of the reasons that we got so many um, uh, project followers so quickly in a day or whatever it is is specifically because of that email. Um, now, um, just maybe this is a, a bonus for for people listening. So. We'll probably level out at about maybe 48% of the people that receive this email will open it uh, because it's only been like a day and a half since we sent it and or maybe maybe two days. And um, usually the email open rate increases over the period of maybe one to two weeks. Um, for the most part, one week you're going to get the majority like within two days, you're going to get the majority of opens. And then over the, you know, the course of the week, you'll get more and then it'll really drop off after that. But uh, for me, I'm actually going to create a, a what I call a reset. People that I um, created a uh, so I I will send the exact same email with a slightly changed subject line to all of the people that did not open that email, and I expect to get another at least twenty percent opens, and you know ten percent of those people will click. So um, that's a. Uh, Something I think is super important, especially when you really, really need people to activate and 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 do stuff for you. Um, there you go. Um, now, in the past, uh, we would have emails that, and by the way, that wasn't sent to my entire list. That was sent to my engaged list. Um, the people that don't open as much, I don't want to send them as many emails. I don't want to be as pushy and proddy to them uh, because they're not as interested. They're not as willing to, um, uh, you know, to jump on board. But I want to send to them. I just, I just need to, um, you know, I guess pick my, uh, choose, choose my shots. Yeah, exactly. Battles. Yeah. So, you know, if I send an email to what I call the never openers, the people that the segment of my list that so Rick, yeah, <laughs> exactly. The people of percentage of my list that literally never opens. Um, let's see how many people is that? Um, let me find one. So I sent one in March to my never openers and how many people overall did I send to 597. Now, so there are 597 people who have never opened an email of mine. And um, there are uh, 37 of those people actually did open. So, um, you know, something like 6.2%, I think is the number of people that I actually got to open an email for the very first time. Uh, three people click and, you know, it's like 10% of the or 8% of the people that open and uh, one of them unsubs unsubscribed. And that's totally cool with me. <laughs> so, you know, you're throwing out all these statistics about open rates and click through rates. And you're talking about resending emails to people who didn't open. How do you get this information? Is this tied into your mail system you're using or is this a third party uh, software or uh, web app or how, how, how are you getting this information and what do you recommend to people who are listening uh, to use to get this information because I think it, it's that's yeah. pretty good information to know you know especially I like the idea about resending emails to people who didn't open the first time that's really cool 
Um, and I, you know, without manually sitting through and seeing who opened, who did it and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a tool where you just click and it does it, that's pretty awesome. I think our, our listeners would really like to know where that came from. Absolutely. It very much is useful. And MailChimp is the answer. So with MailChimp, you can um, see all of those numbers. You can see a lot of those numbers with other email marketing programs as well. But what I love about MailChimp, first of all, they have an app, which is better than everyone else's by far. If you ever, if ever you add emails in person or you want to look at this stuff on your phone, it's, it's easy. And then also on the app, you can actually go to one of your emails that it's sent and you can um, do something called resend to non-openers. So you would, um, it would duplicate the email and then target all the people who didn't open and it would be done in basically just a few taps of your finger on, on your phone surface. I don't know, like I'd say clicks, but <laughs> it's weird. And then you also so. talked about the never senders, the never, sorry, the never openers. How do you, how do you determine what, who's a never opener? And is it like a segment on your list or how did you set that up? Yeah. So uh, whenever I um, create an email and I send it out, I send it to a, a very particular segment of my audience. I call it the main segment, the main list. So I send it to contacts that match any of the following conditions. Number one, that you know they join the email list within the last 60 days. Obviously, somebody just joins my email list. They're, they'll have never opened an email from me, right? And so I want to make sure that they get um, an opportunity to um, to send or to open an email and become one of those people. Another thing is I'll send. I'll, uh, so if they've been added on in the last 60 days, they're getting my emails no matter what. Then number two, if they've opened any of the last 10 campaigns I've ever sent, that is another criteria that I, that I look at. Um, and then a third one, you can, you know, if, if uh, so they might not have been added within the last 60 days, but if they've looked at any one of the last 10 emails I've sent, which might be the last, you know, five, six months of time, um, then they get my, they get this quote, quote unquote main email. And then uh, if their email marketing engagement is low, you can actually set that. Or if you can say, if they've never opened an email from me, don't, you know, uh, don't send it, that kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how I put together my main list. And then for the other, so if I send an email to what I call my never openers, I might, what I'll do is I'll target people that were straight up not sent the main email. So if you weren't sent the main email, you're going to be sent the never opener email. It's a, it's, it's, it's a word for word copy of the first email. I literally go in and then I replicate the email. I copy the email. And then I might change the subject line or maybe, maybe I won't. But the main thing, the reason that I split those two is for all of the other reasons that we talked about. Um, we talked about Gmail wants to see that people are opening your emails and interacting and, and that sort of thing. And my main list opens and interacts. They're, they're awesome. They're engaged. They're hardcore. And then there are people who, you know, rarely if or maybe never interact. And I don't want the people that never interact to drag down the the email you know it right now 44% or whatever of the the email or the email addresses that i sent my kickstarter landing page email to opened it so if i were to send in, include everybody that might be um you know like 30 to or 35% or 30 to you know 32% and that would not look as good to gmail so i'm actually building um, some history so that when it comes time to send an email to all of those never openers, that I'm going to get 
a much better deliverability rate than than I would otherwise. So uh, another thing of emails is the first point of contact really is your subject line. So it's really important that your subject line is engaging and that it's it's truthful so that people don't feel like they're being slided. Andrew, could you give some tips on how to write a, an, an appropriate subject line that gets the email open, which is what we want? Is there any, uh, you know, hacks to, to that strategy or to this? Some of the basic tenets are that people tend to remember the first three words and the last three words. So if you make your subject line six words, they remember all of it. You know, seven words isn't bad. You know, so, uh, some subject lines, you, you just don't want them to be too long. I would always recommend to use an emoji, uh, just one, and it tends to get people's attention. It tends to stand out. It's like a picture inside, you know, otherwise a heavily text-based program, you know, your email program, whatever it is. I, I would always also recommend almost like the TLDR, like the too long, didn't want to read it. What, you know, can you give me a summary of what's in this email if I open it? You'll get a certain percentage of people, a pretty large percentage, in fact, that'll read the subject line and not proceed further. And it doesn't mean that people are not paying attention to you. It just means that they just decided not to open it. Uh, but the subject line is extremely valuable real estate because you'll be able to give people an update. You know, people in our Kickstarter pre, you know, the, the Kickstarter pre-launch page, they, they know the Kickstarter pre-launch page is live. They know the campaign is launching June 8th because those types of things have been in my subject lines. So I think that's very important. But the in general, the subject line needs to explain what your email is about. It's like the, the thesis statement of an essay. It's the main idea of the email. As, as much as you can, it should have a call to action. And so check out, get, um, read, you know, whatever a, a, a verb that calls people to action should be used instead of just having a uh, like a very vague headline. Um, I never, I never want to see blah blah monthly newsletter, you know, or um, you know, uh, this is something I use for um, the subject line. You know, is a specific thing with a call to action, and then the preview text, which is the text that appears immediately afterward, can be the. You know, I use Deliverance Insider, March 2021 edition or May 2020, whatever. Right. And um, that's what I use to, um, you know, that's kind of some of the basics in the subject line. You should absolutely test your subject lines. And the more punchy the subject line, the better. Um, don't use all caps. And if you want to be spammy, you'll use things. Uh, so don't use the word free. I mean, certain words actually trigger spam. Yeah, free. We should, we should talk about last that. chance. Um, yeah, offer uh, anything with a number in it. Sale. I mean, yeah. I mean, just e even a dollar sign is going to be a spam filter. So yeah, just it, it's it was right. the weirdest thing I heard. Anything any with a number in it. Any any sexual reference? I'm sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> body parts. Yeah, and and like like we said. Uh, that little bratty girl uh, Gmail is is very sensitive, so even even if you ha like have some some sort of mention of those words, maybe you only say it once, or maybe you sort of reference something like that, you may get put into the promotion column on yeah. on, on Gmail as opposed to you may not go directly to spam, you may not go directly to jail and not get sent at all, 
but you may still end up in that promotion tab. I've seen that happen. One of our clients, uh, not not Kickstarter, but one of our, our clients with email had an email problem because they were sending all the specs of their product in every single email. And like it had prices, it had, you know, buttoned up to, you know, order now. And all of a sudden he's like, why, why is my email going into spam? Why is no one getting my emails? And then we figured out that's the reason why. And so we, we made it so that that stuff doesn't show up in emails because it's just, it, it gets blocked. Um, there's actually a great tool also online for those of you listening. It's called mail-tester.com. And when you go to the page, it gives you a, a email, a weird random code email that it wants you to send your email to. And you, so you send this, send the email that you want to send out to people to this, this email that it gives you. And then you hit the button that says, check your score. And it'll actually go through the entire email. It'll give it a spam rating. It'll also check your IP address to see um, if it's a blocked, if it's on a blacklist. It goes through all these different uh, stages of your email. So if you ever um, are interested or concerned about what you're sending out, may or may not be spammy, I would recommend going to mail-tester.com and send your email to them. And that automated system will will tell you uh, how legit or not legit your email is. Just be, just be careful how you spell that. <laughs> yeah. I think that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For uh, more information about our podcast and access to our articles, resources, and past podcasts, this is, this is I can't talk today. Visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Also, exactly one week from today, June 8th, 2021 at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Deliverance, the game, will launch on Kickstarter. And if you haven't done so already, visit deliverancethegame.com, get on that email list. Or if you're an awesome, awesome Kickstarter fan and already have a Kickstarter account, go into Kickstarter and get, get the notify button. So that way you can get updated on the exact minute the game goes live. And trust me, you want to be there when it happens because we're going to be crashing Kickstarter servers. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. We're number three right now. Number three on upcoming games. So that's what's going to happen. Thank you to all of you to listening to us today. And we will see you all next week on launch day, nerds. Adios. Stay nerdy. We did an episode where Jamie Stegmaier was not mentioned. Ah, oh, dang it.